0: on listeners it just goes to show your co-host Ridge we're back on the mic yep
1: yeah, uh, Prem is back we're back and I'm excited to get into it but it's been awesome like the sports being off for three months and then we getting us getting the prem back first with games every day is absolutely insane I love it I'm so excited
0: yeah I'm uh, I'm pretty thrilled as well to say the least it's been I mean it's pretty much coming at you every single day whether it's during the week or on the weekend. Uh, up early this weekend to watch some of the key fixtures, uh, saw Aston Villa throw away a 1-0 lead, um, and then saw Crystal Palace look like Barcelona for 45 minutes. So, um, you know, you can't have one side of the coin without the other. So it's been a, a mixed bag of emotions uh, in terms of my reaction to the fixtures, but just happy to be back, man. It's so nice. The commentary's been amazing. Arlo and the guys has been brilliant. And NBC's crushing it, of course. So I'm in a good spot.
1: I don't think I've ever loved any, like, sports um, newscasting group or broadcasting booth or anything as much as I love NBC Sports. Uh, Premier League coverage, it's so good. Rebecca, the two, like, I-, I love everybody, but Rebecca's my favorite, and just having them all back in my life is really, really exciting. Um, yeah, you, sound, I- like a, you it. sound like a little also, kid,
0: like, uh, Rebecca's my favorite teacher. Like, should we address favorite. the earring? The Kyle Martino earring, <laughs> the Kyle um, Martino dangling earring. Well, I found out actually it was a uh, it was a Black Lives Matter fist. Afterwards, I found that out. So wow, well that's uh, cool. Yeah. But
1: I was, it was very it. unexpected. I'm definitely all for it then. I was all for it before I knew that. Um, but it's just something that I thought had to be brought up because he just comes back from quarantine with like a, a dangling earring. It's two inches long and like doesn't say anything about it. So we you know we had to think about it. But no, it's good. I'm glad it's for a good cause at least.
0: Safe to say he's a, he's a winner from the first week, so um, on that note, uh, basically what we're going to cover today, we're going to go through on, on the first week, you know, who are our winners and losers, what do we take away from the first week of football now that we're back, some general observations about the game, um, as we've seen some trends emerge early on, and then just also some social trends we've seen, um, shout out Glenn Goodwin, um, and then we'll get into, I give Chris trivia this week, and then after that, uh, our predictor picks, so we'll go through uh, what we got for you this, this upcoming Wednesday and Thursday, right Chris?
1: Yeah, the predictors all Wednesday, Thursday, which is interesting. I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be coming back with like a Friday through Sunday or something like that. But they're uh, boom fantasy. The boys over there, they're really keeping up with the uh, congestion of the fixtures and making sure that we all have plenty of chances to earn 50 grand. So um, <laughs> I'll probably win it like two or three times from now till the end of the season is what I'm expecting.
0: All right. Yeah. If you're maybe if you're not working during, you know, because of the pandemic, you know, feel free to jump in and just kind of dedicate all your time here. Um over the first week, biggest winners that you've got, Chris. Um, some teams that come to mind, one of the most annoying things I have to say after the first week, I picked Sheffield United to finish in a European place at the end of the season, and they were emphatically beaten by Newcastle, 3-0. We talked a lot of smack, smack about that fixture. And then Sam Axman, Joelinton, and Matt Ritchie all get on the score sheet. Joelinton hasn't scored much this season and does. I think Newcastle, after the first weekend, which is so, so, so annoying, um are feeling really, really good.
1: So. Yeah, and uh, Joe Ellington's goal, I think, was really big. It, I believe he was the third goal in the match, too. So they were already up 2-0, and he got it on a, a cross that came in. It was like a one-touch finish, but it's it's really a striker's goal, and he really hasn't had the finishing touch this season for them. So I think uh, in terms of a confidence boost, that's big. I mean, it's worth noting that John Egan got sent off in the 50th minute, and all three of Newcastle's goals came after it. So they had a ton of momentum in that second half and just let it ride the whole way through. But, I mean, I I wasn't expecting to see a Steve Bruce team really, like, pour it on in the second half and run away with it against uh, a team that's been so consistent all season. in Blades, who, they don't score a ton of goals, but they haven't conceded anything either. Um, And they really just, the the gates just opened up for them. And uh, Newcastle took advantage. And Newcastle do have some talented attacking players. Like, as bad as they've been and unattractive as they've been, uh, St. Maximine, Almarone, like some of these guys are pretty talented and skilled, so I don't think it's shocking to see them play well, but it's just not something we've really seen from them all season.
0: Yeah, I think the the sending off of Egan did really expose Sheffield United are just so dependent on the three center back system, and part of what makes them so difficult to play against is the rotation they have around those three center backs, um, really taking up a lot of the wide spaces, and then they're, they're you know, uh, their trio in central midfield, so it's hard to play through the middle and then also hard to play down the outsides, and so you take that away through a sending off and, you know, they got they got walloped, so, um, and that was on the back of, you know, drawing nil-nil in the opening game against Aston Villa, uh, which I thought was a good point for Villa, um, and then that means that, you know, through two games, Sheffield United haven't, haven't found a goal yet, so, um, kind of a dis- obviously a disappointing start for them. I would I would count them as a loser, but who else you got then, winners after the well, yeah, round of now they got
1: they got United next too, which will be interesting especially with Henderson not being able to play against his parent club. Um, should we go should I pick a loser next or a winner next week?
0: Go for it, whatever you're feeling.
1: Um, let's talk about Man City, I guess, because they I think they were probably I mean, I'm saying the biggest winner might not be fair because I think it was kind of expected, but they really just throttled um, both Arsenal and Burnley, um, you know, a plus-eight goal differential in two matches and not conceding. It's a good way to bounce back from a three-month break or whatever it's been. And, um, you know, they, they also have, like, mixed-up players. Phil Foden scored twice, which you love to see if you're a City fan. Uh, it's not like they played this, the toughest competition there, but you can't ask for anything more than what City gave them.
0: Yeah, and I think that's fair. I think, you know, you, you obviously tip tip the hat to, and it, it kind of stays consistent with some of the teams who I was talking about who are good, kind of training around well, well-drilled head coaches, you know, good on the practice pitch head coaches. Unfortunately, one that comes to mind is Graham Potter over over Brighton, and I'm not a huge Brighton fan, obviously, being a Crystal Palace fan, but um, Brighton have looked really strong as well. Um, licked a, or nicked a, a last-minute uh, winner from Neil Maupay um, and, against Arsenal, and then you know, went out and got a nil-nil draw today as well. So Brighton looked really, really good, against, and that was against the Leicester side. So Brighton looked Brighton look really, really good given the practice pitch uh, time they've had with Grand Potter. And you, you're starting to see, like, good kind of training ground coaches are, are looking strong early on here, right? Like a Pep, like a Graham Potter. Um, as much as I hate to say it, Steve Bruce is, is like a training ground coach. That's like when he is most uh, in his so element. He's not good in press conferences, things like that. So
1: I don't disagree with you on that, but what do you think about Chris Wilder?
0: So I think Chris Wilder is is a is a definitely is a really strong training ground manager as well. But I don't know if it's like I. But I think like to to my point when you take the the integral cog of that Sheffield United team is the three center back system. The way they take away space at the outsides, they it's really simple actually because the outside back of the three, whichever side the opposition is playing through, because so many. So many attacks, either attack has to come through three ways, on the wings, right, or through the middle. Through the middle, it's really hard to get through the middle because they have three central midfielders. It's really congested. On the outsides, if, if you're trying to attack Sheffield United outside, one of the outside center backs shifts to double team whoever you have on the outside. So if you have one winger, say Wilfred Zaha, they shift an outside center back, say a Chris Bastram, over to help a ball dock. Um, and then all of a sudden, they have the advantage in numbers there, but they still have two central defenders and an outside back on the other side in the box, so they're never outnumbered from across. So they're always able to, to stifle you on, on the wings and then also stay, stay fortress with enough numbers in, in central defense, and that's the brilliance behind the three center back system, that they work to perfection. Um, and so I think they are a really good training ground team but I think you take that center back away and, and that's the only way they know how to play that's what's gotten them to where they're, well, at, they're at in the league
1: yeah I mean I think that's part of it and I think the other side of it is that their attackers are just not very good they've they really relied on their defense and their midfield all season and I, I really don't see much in McBurney and Sharp and some of their strikers so they're, they're set up defensively too so the, not scoring goals doesn't really surprise me but not getting you know any really results against two teams that think they should is a little bit more surprising um but i mean we've talked enough about blades but um blades blades uh next team that i wanted to talk about on the losing side was west ham so yeah i th- they had a, a nightmare start they, it was tough for them i'm not gonna lie they didn't have the easiest fixtures here but uh, at the same time they are in a team that is very much in trouble and in danger of being relegated. 2 0 loss to Wolves, um, and then today a 2 0 loss to Spurs. Tough matchups, but you got to get some results here at some point if you're West Ham.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, if you look at their their squad and you compare it to the other teams in the relegation battle, they are head and shoulders better, right? So, like, I mean, you, you go down the roster and you look at the likes of Felipe Anderson, Jared Bone, Declan Rice, uh, Fabianski, and then you compare that to an Orion Island, Aston Villa, you compare that to a Connor Horan, Aston Villa, an El Ghazi. Like, they, they are really, really, really strong um, on paper, but can't seem to put it together um, on the pitch have got two defeats now, which is really good for the likes of Aston Villa, and that bottom three is starting to quickly turn into what seems to be a bottom four, um, which is Norwich at the very bottom, uh, Aston Villa, Bournemouth, and West Ham. Those seem to be the four teams that, after the first week, are really going to be there, uh, and hopefully Villa is able to nick the seventeenth uh, place, and uh, you know, and Bournemouth and West Ham finish below them, but. Um, West Ham, I mean, very uninspiring. I mean, the commentators were even talking like what a joke it is, how far they are away from the pitch, um, that they don't even need to be quarantined, you know, when, when they're doing the announcing cause, uh, the their stadium is, is just, it, I mean, it's not even theirs. That's a whole different debate, but, stadium. Yeah, yeah,
1: I but, mean, it's, yeah, they're in trouble. David Moyes is a joke and, um, I don't know. They play Chelsea in their next match, so it's not really going to get easier. I think that they're in a lot of trouble. and Yeah. Um, I mean, another team that lost at the bottom was Bournemouth, 2-0 to Palace. They looked very poor as well. They didn't generate anything all game. So, I mean, a lot of these teams at the bottom looked bad. Norwich was another team I had as a loser. Um, they mm-hmm. looked extremely uninspiring, uh, against Southampton at home, 3-0 loss. They didn't look like they were even close to getting points in that one. And so, I mean, really, like, I'd say losers are pretty much all teams at the bottom of the table. Villa yeah, probably I... came out the best with a draw against Blades, and then they had a halftime lead against Chelsea, but still didn't really get much out of those two. So I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say... um you know, I would say looking at that, and you made a good point right there. I think Villa was probably the strongest out of all of those sides, right? They they get a nil nil draw to kick off the whole, you know, all the fixtures. A lot of pressure, a lot of viewers on that fixture, and then you know, take a halftime lead into Chelsea. Of course, Villa's big Achilles heel this season they've just been giving up goals back to back very quickly. So when they get scored on, they get scored within five minutes right afterwards, almost every single time. Which and, is a, well, is, a is a lack of leadership going back to Tyrone Mings, who 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 I talked. Uh, you know, quite intently about on the podcast last week, uh, I think that falls squarely on his shoulders, right? That's clearly, like, and I'm not saying it's all his fault. Like, I say squarely on his shoulders, but I think, about, like, if you're looking at, I don't know, if you're looking at the best central defenders in the in the world, like, you're having a go at your back line after you concede, and you're making sure the first thing afterwards is, like, all right, reset, and Villa clearly are inept at doing that. I don't know if it's, le- I, that seems to be a, a leadership thing, because clearly they're turning off well, after they concede a goal.
1: Right, no, and I mean, we there was that tweet that we saw that was like a viral tweet where they, I think it was like four or five matches, they gave up two late second half goals and lost. And um, the thing, though, is Tyrone Mings, sure, he definitely deserves some of that blame and responsibility as kind of the, the leader of that back line, but they've had such inconsistency at the goalkeeping position all season long. That that makes it difficult too. That's normally a big communicator. That's true. And that's true. Not, we know nylon's not bringing that, and he they've just had a lot of different players there. And if Heaton was there, it might be a little bit different. I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, I lot, think a that's lot a good point. Consistency at that position, I think, is really uh, hurt them quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, what what do they say in the NHL playoffs? Uh, they say you know pick the team with a hot with the hot goalie,
1: right? I wouldn't um, say that's the same for footy, but. Um, Speaking of goalies that are not hot, another loser, David De Gea.
0: David De Gea. And so I, I actually said in our group chat today, because we obviously have a, a group chat with buddies you know, about football, David De Gea, I, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out after he conceded an absolute nightmare uh, nightmare goal against uh, Tottenham. Steven Bergwijn cuts through a hard shot right at De Gea. De Gea deflects to flex it into the roof of his great,
1: goal. Great run by Bergwijn, by the way. It shouldn't have been a goal because it wasn't the best shot, but it was a great run. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah. So he, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said he's the best goalkeeper in the world. So I think that's you know, terrible. Pathetic. Um, I, th- there, I think there's better goalkeepers in the world, very, very clearly, right? Uh, Stegen, Oblak, uh, Jan Oblak, outside of England, right? And there, there are others that I could throw into the mix there. Uh, I think there's a handful of Premier League goalkeepers that are better than De Gea in the in the Premier League. I think Allison's better, Gaita's better, Schmeichel's better, Leno, Pickford, Henderson, Rui Patricio, Ben Foster, Ederson, Hugo Lloris are all better than David De Gea. I think he's an absolute fraud. Absolute fraud. I, I wouldn't argue that much
1: against any of those guys because he, he just makes so many mistakes. Like, oh, my, he gets off the hook every time. I don't understand how it works. I don't think he does anything that spectacular to make up for these really, really bad mistakes. But um, he's, it just keeps happening, and people keep saying he's world class. But one thing that was really interesting and exciting in that United Spurs game was when Pogba came on. They were t- the announcers were talking about how it was maybe the most anticipated sub-appearance of the season, which I <laughs> probably agree with, um, right. but I don't know if that's really like that impressive of a um, metric to be looking at a reward. But anyway, um, he came on and drew a penalty. Well, they almost scored like 10 seconds after he came on, and then he drew a penalty on a really nice play, um, and they scored. Interestingly enough, he did not take the penalty. They gave it to Bruno Fernandes, which was probably a good idea. And they drew another penalty that got called off by VAR, but he came on and was an immediate spark for them and looked really, really good. And, I mean, he's been inconsistent. He's been injured on and off. But when he's healthy and on his game, he is as good as it gets, I think, as a central midfielder.
0: Yeah, I wonder if he's going to make that, like, or I hope he makes that, like, his Instagram bio, like, most anticipated Premier League sum of 2020 (laughs) post-COVID. I mean, I can't make a case for someone else. Going back to De Gea, I mean, I, I, I thought that Pogba appearance was really strong, and I, I think it, it makes the case that he brings he brings to the game while other central midfielders don't. He has the footwork of, like, and I'm not going to say a Ronaldo, but a really talented winger. And so when he drifts out into positions and plays with a lot of creative freedom, which they needed to, to find a goal and break through that Spurs defense, he's brilliant. I think the problem that uh, in games where it's not like that, where he doesn't have to be on the front foot the entire time, where he has to backtrack, you know, uh, play a little bit more conservatively in possession and break a team down. That's where I think he's, he he struggles. He's a bit of kind of a a maverick almost in the way he wants to play. And so I almost wonder if he'd be uh, I don't know better suited almost as a situational sub. But but that's clearly the side of his game that he needs to work on. And he's paid so much money that like he needs to be a more complete player. I think he um, definitely has
1: work to do, but he has all the ability. So he's just got kind of to put together a little bit.
0: Um, yeah, size, I mean, pace, everything. I think, I think, I think my, United. my yeah, I think my last thing on De Gea is like everyone who's played sport growing up knows that like the goalie you want on your team is not the one that's gonna make some crazy save or at least as a defender. I was a hockey a hockey player, and a defender for a long time growing up, and I never wanted a goalie behind me who who was like gonna make some crazy like stack the pads, flip over Dominic Kosick save. I just wanted somebody that if someone took a slap shot from the blue line or threw a puck on net that I knew would just handle it comfortably. Like, I yeah, never needed them to... Save the all sol- ones. Save everything exactly. you
1: should, and don't make any mistakes, and just distribute all right, and that's all you are really Exactly. Need.
0: Save everything you should. You don't need to save anything you shouldn't, right? And, like, David De Gea is the, is the kind of keeper who... He will have these crazy games where he'll make, like, nine, ten saves um, and save a couple of things where he's, like, you know, throwing an arm up and diving at something, and, like, everyone's like, oh, my God, that's, you know, he's so talented. But it's, like you let in enough between your legs or you let in enough off of your hands into well, the roof of the net. Like, those things don't matter.
1: The funny you know? thing, the funny enough thing about that is, like, the way you describe that, you could close your eyes and just imagine Paul Pug, but, you know, the guy who makes the spectacular but doesn't make always the, the easy plays, and uh, maybe that's just the Man United way at this point. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, and and, and it's tough for Ole, because he's putting a lot of stock in the youth there, so, you know, he'll, he'll dig his own grave if that's the case. Um... But I think
1: last uh, last loser we need to talk about, you know, I'm, yeah,
0: yeah, it was Burnley. Um, oh,
1: oh, wait, wait. No, no, no. Let's wait. Let's save them because we need to okay, talk to okay. about Arsenal really quick. <laughs> OK,
0: OK. Yeah, we can talk about Arsenal.
1: Uh, Arsenal. Oh, my God. They are terrible.
0: <laughs> I don't know yeah. you have much more
1: to say than that besides David Luiz. Like what what's going on with him man? why yeah, is he I feel playing? I almost he just feel decided one year deal today.
0: I know. I almost feel for Arsenal because I, th- I do think Arteta is, well, ha- has them on the right trajectory. Obviously, their fans want everything right now and are used to being it's so funny. They were all Wenger out, Wenger out, Wenger out, Wenger, who <laughs> led them to a, a golden generation of football. It's, it's I, I kind of feel the same way about Arsenal fans as I do United fans, right? Like, had such a golden era with Sir Alex, golden era with Arsene Wenger. Um, and then, you know, towards the end, they get a little bit impatient because they miss a title or two, and they're very quick to, to pull the trigger and, and make the the make the manager seat a hot seat. And then, you know, now they, now they have to live with, you know, what their complaints got them. And I feel... I feel for Arsenal in that in that City game because David you know, David Luis had an absolute nightmare and cost him the game essentially. And the game got away from him because of that. Um, and then in their next fixture, you know, uh, Bern Leno gets gets injured uh, in a challenge with Neil Maupay, um, and he's out. And you know, they go on to concede a really late winner. That team is is crying out for a little bit of time and patience with Mikel Arteta, and then some really strong. Leadership in both central midfield and central defense. David Luiz is going to be that guy.
1: It's not David Luiz and Grenadier. <laughs> and it's
0: also exactly it's not Grenadier either. Um, and and that's where that team needs to go out and buy because they do have really talented pacey players: Nkentia, Malin, Niles, Abameyang, Lacazette. Like you can go on and on. Like that team is a uh, 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 Sako. Um Bayako Saka, like they're they're really, really, really pacey and skilled going forward and on the outside parts of the pitch. They just need to strengthen up in the middle. Um, and uh, you know, we'll see how they do in the transfer market, obviously, because it's yeah, a very interesting market.
1: Leno out six weeks, Martinelli got hurt, he's out for a few months, it looks like. I mean, they're <laughs> they're in tenth place right now. Who
0: plays for them then?
1: Do you know? That? Do we do we know? Um, I could find out quick. Wait, you mean as yeah. as a backup for uh, Leno?
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't even know who, who comes in
1: on the other day. Not um, not Martinelli. 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 Oh, for got Martinelli. On for Lano. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I don't know. They're not really playing Ozil. I guess but Ainsley Maitland Niles. Or <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, Reese Nelson.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Pepit? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, guess... Uh, Nikita?
1: I don't know. I mean, they've got a couple of guys up there. I don't think any of them are that,
0: particularly that good, but... Yeah, we'll see. Um, and then our biggest loser of the... of the My personal biggest loser. I don't know about you. I, Arsenal, um, yeah, yeah. deserved a bit of a... Well, lot, uh, it, thing, in but.
1: terms of on-pitch performances, I'd probably go Arsenal, but it's close, but an overall loser of the week, it's it's very clear.
0: Yeah, so I, I think yeah I think it's it's Burnley and and I kind of jumped the gun a little bit there, hinting at them being you know the the, the least successful uh, club over the first week. There's a bunch of things that, um, really really, were I mean are just Burnley are fucked. I'm trying to think of a better way to say this. Like they they they're terrible. They're in an awful spot. First off, there's a ton of rumors about Sean Dyche. And uh, Dwight McNeil and their players leaving, uh, most notably Crystal Palace is uh, supposedly in talks or has been in talks with Sean Dice to go be the manager after Roy Hodgson leaves and retires. Um, So that's a huge rumor they're going to lose their management, lose, you know, their biggest name player, et cetera, et cetera. A bunch of their players did not sign extensions. So they only had two players outside of their starting 11 on the bench with any Premier League experience um, going up against Manchester City. They also lost 5-0. So just got their asses kicked. Um, And so their on-field performance was terrible. So infrastructurally, you know, all the players seem to want out, don't really seem to want to play there anymore. Um, they don't really have any names or talent. They have a bunch of injuries. Chris, Chris Wood, Ashley Barnes are injured. So players who who are available to play are injured. Um, and they got absolutely walloped on the pitch. Yeah. Do you know how long Sean Dyche has been at Burnley? I think he's the long – him or Eddie Howe is the longest-serving Premier League manager.
1: Since 2012.
0: Yeah. So that's he's a long time. Burnley.
1: So, I mean, I guess – well, we didn't even get into the, the other stuff.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, we'll we'll start there, and then we'll, we'll, we can touch on off-field antics.
1: So, I mean, yeah, they're a mess. Uh, they seem like they're a club that's in limbo right now. Like, I don't, it's going to be very interesting to see what their squad looks like next season. It could be very different. Um, Sean Dyche has been rumored out for a while. I don't really know if it's just – I don't know. Like, you don't really hear about the Burnley ownership the same way you hear about the West Ham ownership. I don't know if it's an, an issue with, um, you know, the front office there or exactly what it is, but so um, Jeff Hendrick, Phil Bardsley, Aaron Lennon, all in contract on June 30th. They're not re-signed. Uh, Joe Joel Hart's not re-signing to a new deal. Um, and Sean Dice described the situation as strange. Like, you're the manager of the club. What? what I don't, it's so bizarre what's going on there.
0: Yeah, I there's clearly some unrest in the back room. Like, um, and and I'll kind of circle back to, to Sean Dyche, uh at the end of this. But um, the other thing that happened over the weekend was, in, in case you didn't watch any football, um, if you did, this is really obvious. And apologies if you've watched NBC already and you know you're like, hey, we don't need to, uh, you know two white guys who do a soccer podcast uh to talk about this but um actually one of the first things i thought about when i saw the plane fly over the etihad stadium saying white lives matter burnley was uh, i was just insanely angry and i was like i've gotta we gotta talk about this on the pod that was like one of the one of the first things i thought i mean and so too. right when i
1: saw it yeah it was like this is
0: something that we're gonna talk about um and and so i, I I guess yeah, at the risk of, of you know I don't sounding repetitive but also not saying enough with all of this I think the one thing I have never been more angry I mean I was texting you guys like during it and I was like the, they're they gonna give him a point deduction they got to relegate him from the league <laughs> that like, was the thing you off.
1: said like Burnley down point yeah. deduction yeah nice I don't, yeah, I,
0: yeah I don't yeah I don't know. I, I was very very angry and having had more time to think about it I think the reason why I was so pissed is. I think there's there's kind of these th- blank lives matter. There's like Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, and obviously Black Lives Matter is at the forefront of you know social uh, social culture more so than it ever has been for a reason. But then some people have this weird reaction to and then say oh, like All Lives Matter, and I think that's just like be people. I like to think maybe sincerely I'm just being m- maybe naive that people are just kind of unaware of, like, what Black Lives Matter actually means and unaware that when they say all lives matter, like, that sounds wrong and dumb because it is, like, no one's saying all lives don't matter, right? Um, But then to even take it one step further after that and say that white lives matter is such, like, an, uh, like, a, uh, it doesn't even feel like it's, like, a misunderstanding or, like, you're not educated or, like, you're not taking the time to do what you do. Or read what you need to read or learn what you need to learn and and maybe look inwards and understand your biases and, and privilege it just seems angry and seems hateful and it seems like a massive massive and Ben me said that it, it completely missed the point I think that like I, I can't even state that to a high enough degree and it made me so 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 angry um, and afterwards I was like I i shocked the players didn't walk off the pitch I'm shocked that uh, especially with how outspoken you know Raheem Raheem Sterling's been, and um, you know, I, I, I guess I was just really really angry and disgusted that like somebody, like obviously white lives matter, <laughs> obviously all lives matter, you know what I mean? Like yeah, nobody think yeah. no, nobody's arguing that, and no, no, there's no societal, societal oppression that's saying the white lives don't matter. There's no systematic racism that's saying white lives don't matter. You know what I mean? Like it's. Right it's it's totally fucked that people feel the need to say that. Like, no one's ever said that that's not true. But people have said that the other thing isn't true, which is the Black Lives uh, uh, Matter. People have said that that isn't true in, in human history. I, I was so angry watching it.
1: No, and I obviously agree with you on all of this. Um, anyone that listens to the pod knows and probably, probably knows that I... I'm um, ex- extremely liberal and I think most people who listen to the pod probably are anyway but the thing more is More outspoken
0: more outspoken than I am which is kind of interesting yeah I don't know so I guess for, you're probably just saving us time If you follow
1: me on Twitter you probably have an idea as well <laughs> um, so no I mean it's it's absolutely disgusting you're right and I don't think we even really need to get into the political side of it too much I mean we stand where we stand on it and um, you know I, I don't really think that this is the platform we need to use for that like, I, like you said I mean we can have our opinions and um but we're not really the the main people that are impacted by the movement or driving the movement. I think we both support it quite a bit and we want to do what we can to spread awareness and support it and all of that, but um it's not really our conversation to have, I don't think either. But I think what you said was really you know, is thoughtful and, and very correct and the one thing about it is I like I was happy to see that Burnley got absolutely shellacked on the pitch when that happens, <laughs> you know what I mean. But at the same time, it's hard to attribute that a plane flyover and, and really like connect that with each of the players in the pitch or or the manager or the club even necessarily, um, without knowing more what's going on behind the scenes. And it's it's a little bit of a sensitive subject. But you and I have actually talked several times and so have a couple of our friends about how Burnley are by far the whitest club in the Premier League, like not even close. Um, yeah, you know, Aaron, I, we've actually Aaron, said Aaron that Aaron Lennon, like years ago. I know it's been we've been talking about this for years. Aaron Lennon's probably their most notable black player. He's not resigning, um, and and they basically are an all white team for the most part. Um, and I don't know enough about the political geography of England. I don't know if that area is notoriously known as being a little bit more racist or or less diverse at least. But it wouldn't really surprise me. But that's the thing, you know what I mean? Like, I think that could happen to any club um, where a, a, a stupid set of supporters or anybody, I don't know if they support the club even or not, could fly a plane over like that and do that. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how, yeah, and I, if Burnley are going to handle it the right way. Like, I, like you said, I think Ben Mee came out and said um, the right thing. And Sean Dyche came out and was not super, um, I don't know, if he was as forceful as he could have been with his statement, but... I don't know. That's kind
0: of what I have to say about it. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think circling back to um. the Sean Dyche piece, uh, piece is, again, I, I that's another moment where he felt, it seemed like he was, like, unsure of the ground, beneath his feet, right? Like, you know, he, he, he obviously was like, yeah, I saw it, not great. I was focused on the match, da-da-da-da-da, um, and I really respected Ben Mee for kind of just not talking about any football and talking about that straight away. So I think I mean, yes, it's it, sure, I mean it doesn't reflect the club as a whole. Like you can say that, but Well, I don't I mean, think if I lot of no, it's I lot I, I, I it's not know I no, it's th- a I I it's a I it's a it's isn't but it's but, but isn't, think that, like, like, uh, I it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a it, I it, it's be – like, I'm not sitting there th- – like, you know, chalking up every Burnley supporter as as racist? Of course not. I think that's ridiculous. But I do think like if I mean if I was an African American player or if I was a player on that team, like that would make definitely make me think twice about resigning. If I was like on the fence here over these next few days about resigning, like that would make me think twice a million percent. It, and that would be a, another con of like reasons why to not resign or um, you know reasons why I don't want to play here. And I'm not saying that like every team doesn't have that to some degree they they may do and that's the fucked up part of all of this but um that was just yeah it was just messed up it, it messed it was, up
1: there's not something you like to see and especially with the premier league doing so many good things with um you know the, the players all taking a knee the, the black lives matter in the back of the kits. they're really trying to step up and support the message so to see something like right. that is is pretty tough and um There's definitely too many people that were supportive or or not outraged by what they saw. So, obviously, there's still a lot of work to do on that. But um, on a lighter topic, do you want to get into some trivia?
0: Yeah, let's do it. Um, I got trivia this week. I'm going to do better, I promise um everyone who's I've, I've gotten some thoughts over the past few weeks of hey jack like i was doing the trivia while i was in my car and like yelling at chris that he didn't guess obama yang and bah, 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 and like yeah uh we know uh all right we keep it real we don't record in the studio one take one cut only do not miss your very minimal editing blow. so right um hey, well I, you, you don't know that i do impressive. the editing
1: yeah, don't know well, that's why I, I said think. minimal.
0: I don't do any editing. So. Right. <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, so trivia, Chris, I'm going to give you um, a minute. Okay. And I'm just going to look for five names. Hmm, similar and to last week. Yep, similar to last week. Uh, this is all Premier League, though, so we're going to stay in the prem. Um, mine was 2 I mean, I'm seeing similar to mine last week. Uh, okay. Uh, and I'm going to look for the five players. I'm really going to test your... Uh, defensive knowledge of oh. some of the crap, some of the some of the crap teams, crap expensive? teams in the prem. Oh um, who are the five players who average the most clearances per uh, per game in the Premier League? Go. Okay. Uh, Mings. Yes, he's number three. Uh, Lascelles. No. Um, uh, Cook. Yes, he's number
1: one. Ake. No. Wow, I'm surprised that Cook was number
0: one. Okay, um, are they all bottom clubs? Sheesh. Yep. Uh, uh, maybe not bottom ones. Uh, they're like mid-ish to bottom-ish. Defensive-minded teams. Um, Egan? No. Nope. Basham? No. Nope. Okay, um... No, no one from that team. No, I know. Still got 30 seconds. Siyunku? No. Uh...
1: Not Van Dyke. No, no one at the top, right? No one, no one at the top. No. Nope. Um, Willie Bali, Connor Cody. No,
0: they're probably too high too. Uh, Willie Bali's number ten. So, that's not, a good, not a terrible guess. Okay. I'll give you ten more seconds. Uh, two of guess. them play for the same team. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Time. Duffy? Time. No. No, 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 no. Um, so, I'll give you the team. So you got two, you got two. You got two or five. You got the two English ones. Steve Cook, Tyron Mings. Steve Cook being first, Tyron Mings being third. The other uh, three people come from two teams. Um, they're all center backs, and they come from Newcastle and Southampton. Okay. So... Um, you did guess Lascelles, which is really tough. Yeah, I know. That's what really really pisses me off. So, yeah. Char and... No, not Char.
1: Really? Uh, Fernandez? Yeah.
0: yeah, Federico Fernandez is number two.
1: Uh, who else even plays? Manquillo? Lark?
0: Yep, Kieran Clark. What? Uh, he's number five. Okay, but what are the minimum um, appearances on this thing? Because he isn't even playing that much. He's played 14 appearances in the Premier League. Oh, my God. Um, and then the last one's from Southampton. And this guy's got the most minutes out of anyone on this list. He's a regular on Ralph Hassenhutel's sheet. most minutes out of anyone on the list, yeah. Um, I would guess
1: it's probably, uh, Stevens? Nope. Um,.
0: Valerie, nope. Ed, uh, He's an outside back. Bertrand? Yeah, you're there. No, Benedrić. Yeah, it's Bednarik. It's Jan no. Benedrić. I wouldn't have guessed so, him. So the Polish center back, Jan Benedrić, very skinny Polish center back. He's got the most appearances on this list. You got three more appearances than Tyrone Mings. Um, Mings was the first one that came to mind. I was,
1: honest, was my first guess, but he—he's he's, all that's all he's doing all game is clearing the ball. R-
0: right, right, right. So you got Steve Cook at one, Federico Fernandez at two, Tyron Mings at three, Jan Bednarik at four, Kieran Clark at five. Overall, to get two very quickly within thirty seconds, there of uh, five, I'm 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 not stunned, but I'm not disappointed either. I mean,
1: I don't want to like complain, but. Because like, I host uh, amateur podcasts for the Premier League, I should know a lot of this stuff, and I play Fantasy Prime, and I'll, I'll do DraftKings and Football Manager and FIFA, um, but def- average clearances per 90 is tough. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a
0: specific, <laughs> it's a specific stat, but it's I appreciate really, you I appreciate difficult. you running through your, your CV there um, of <laughs> things that you do that are football-related. Um, all right, so we'll jump into the Predictor app. As a reminder, guys, get in the NBC Predictor app league. Uh, we'll give you a standings update after this congestion of fixtures, but the league code, once again, is M-D-E-Q-L-A. We'll get a tweet out to you guys um, real soon uh, with that link. Um, But the first one on the predictor, it's all Wednesday and Thursday matches. The first one is Manchester United versus Sheffield United, Wednesday at 1. Chris, who you got?
1: Sorry, I'm still trying to shake off Kieran Clark, 14 appearances. Um, I got United winning 2-0 against Blades. I think Blades don't score again. And I thought United looked pretty decent against Spurs. Um, I think Rashford's going to break open for at least one of those two goals.
0: Uh, so I went opposite. I want Sheffield to bounce back after the sending off of Egan. Uh, I got them to win one nil. Frustrate United. Um, play with good spacing across the pitch. One nil Blades win. Okay. Get back on the bandwagon. Next I need ma- that for my top five finish.
1: Yeah. Next match for uh, this Predictor Wednesday three fifteen. Liverpool home to
0: Palace. Who you got? Actually, I'll go so- first. One one. <laughs> what do you have? <laughs> It's well. It's well documented. <laughs> it's well documented that Crystal Palace is the is the only team to have beaten, uh, or is the last team to have beaten Liverpool at Anfield. Um, three. They've beaten Liverpool at Anfield three wait, times since 2015. Wait,
1: I think is the stat. Didn't didn't Watford win at Anfield, or was that at
0: at Watford? Vicarage. Vicarage it was road. at Vicarage Road. Sure? Yep. That okay. 100 positive. Um, so. Palace. I went also with a one-one draw to nick a point against Liverpool. Original. Um, yeah. So we. Uh, Chris, Chris claims he made his picks before mine. I never look at his before I do mine. But I also did pick one-one.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, next, next match. Next.
0: Burnley, yeah, Burnley at home.
1: Me- against Watford Thursday 1 p.m. Won't be watching this one, but I got Watford one nil.
0: Yeah, I got like. I don't. I got this game to be postponed due to just I don't know something. But uh, nil nil, Burnley I don't versus like Watford. These clubs. Nil nil. I don't know if I'm
1: supposed to be unbiased in my position here, but I don't like these clubs, Jack.
0: Fucking awful game. Nil nil. No goals. Dreadful. Don't tune in. Um, next game, we got Southampton versus Arsenal at St yeah. Mary's. I think. We're going to have a little Danny Ings show,
1: and I'm going to go 3 to Southampton. I think Arsenal are a mess right now, and I, I think Southampton have kind of got it together under Huddle at this point. I, I feel pretty confident with them.
0: Yeah, Loki, Hasenhuddles a good coach. He's paid a lot, as we've talked about on the pod. I've got Southampton winning 2-1. All
1: right, Sorry, last Arsenal. last one. This will be the match of the midweek. Uh, no doubt about that. Thursday, three fifteen, Chelsea at home to Manchester
0: City. I've got Man City winning 2-0, just handing it to Chelsea, putting them in their place um, and making sure that they know there's a long distance between second and fifth.
1: Yeah, I wonder if this is like a Man City revenge tour or something, or they're just going to go off and dominate the rest of the season. But I really um, think it is. They, I mean, they are they got their Champions League ban drama. They're not going to win the title, so maybe they'll just dominate the rest of the way. i got them winning 2-1. I think Chelsea will put up a little bit more of a fight, but I still think City's going to win that.
0: There you go. Uh, so like we said, guys, join the league, MBC Predictor, M-D-E-Q-L-8. Uh, we'll give out a standings update and tweet out the link as well. Um, outside of that, Chris, we're getting these episodes out weekly, almost like we're getting paid to do it, you know? Almost. If anyone wants to sponsor
1: us, let me know. We can start. Uh, we'll, we'll negotiate. You know, we don't have a starting price. We'll negotiate for wow. advertising Right. Face. Yeah,
0: good. You almost, yeah, you almost just... Uh, Kind of pigeonholed us there right off the bat. But, yep, no, um, I didn't. I'm good. Don't worry. We're good. Uh, appreciate it as always, guys, especially when we went on some rants on this one. But uh, thanks for joining. Listen up and tune into the prem this week. Just goes to show. Everybody's human. Uh, thank
1: you all. We will talk to you next week.